0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill.
2: Hello, welcome to The Country Hour across South Australia and Broken Hill. I'm Cassie Hough. Now, if you listen really closely you might be able to hear the sound of the mighty River Murray. That's because I am in the Murraylands town of Maipalonga today, South Australia's Ag Town of the Year, and this place is brimming with activity. I, I was driving around yesterday. It's an absolute maze around every corner. There's a new pro- <laughs> vegetable or fruit that's being grown in this town. Maybe there's some dairy goats or some buffalo. There's just everything happening in this town so it is a very deserving winner of Ag Town of the Year and you're going to meet some of the locals in the next hour. I'm at the Institute as they call it or the Town Hall. It's a, it's a wonderful location right in the centre of town built from this lovely old stone that's been carved out of the banks of the river near here. Many of the towns, uh, many of the buildings I should say around town feature this stone so uh, it's lovely to be here in such a, a historic building and uh, And also while we are in Maipolonga, this Ag Town of the Year Award does actually celebrate not just Maipalonga but also the surrounding communities of Wall Flat, Palamana and Tura as well. So everywhere is celebrating such a a great win for this region. So we're gonna be talking about uh, some of the distinctive features of this region. And two words have come up a lot, diversity and resilience, the catch cry for these communities and towns. And they definitely have that in spades and you'll hear for the next hour or so also we're going to hear from some of the businesses and local producers who helped them win the Ag Town of the Year as well as talk about these preparations for the expected high river that this town is going to experience so lots coming up in the next hour or so but first we uh, will welcome Wayne Thorley who is the brand new Rural city of Murray Bridge. Mayor just voted in on the weekend. Good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon, Cassie.
2: Congratulations.
3: Thank
4: you.
2: So you're coming into it at a pretty busy time. Uh, I understand two nights ago the SES hosted a meeting with the local communities around yeah. here with SA Water, SA Power Networks and local communities because there's a lot of concerns about the uh, the water coming down the river. I actually went down to the Woodland Reserve yesterday and uh, she's running a banker there as well. What are some of the main preparations the town's making? Right.
3: Uh, Thanks for that, Cassie. I guess, you know, the meeting on Monday night had about 200 uh, residents there from in and around Murray Bridge and other smaller communities around Murray Bridge. It was basically about introducing... Uh, the community to how the state government was planning to manage the scenarios which they have pr- predicted through their modelling. And that modelling talks for between anything between 140 to uh, 220 uh, gigalitres a day coming through down the river system.
2: And what is the feeling in the community? Because although we've seen these scenes of horrific floods in New South yes. Wales, that's all happening very quickly. People have been unable to get out of the way. Here, you're just sitting, waiting, hopefully preparing. How is that going?
3: I think that was one of the key parts of the meeting was actually about making sure people were aware and alert and prepared but not necessarily panicked or uh, rushing around doing things which were not necessary. For some of our communities, it's certainly going to be a lot more serious than others. And I think when we look at some of the... uh, preparations that were required for uh, communities like Maipolonga and other smaller ones, that theirs is a, a different need and strategy to compare to say people who own shacks or have want to use the river for recreational usage over the rest of the, the summer. So it's different, different horses of courses.
2: Absolutely. Each town's going to have their different yep. needs and, and the Riverland has been the, the big focus and, and the, the levee banks there. But are you having to have for work done on levee banks here as well?
3: Well we at the moment we're being assured by the Department of and Water they are doing work on those levees and that they are ensuring they will be the ones which are government owned will be compliant and will need will be in a condition good condition to to be prevent the river Escaping into our lower areas. However, you know, time will tell. It comes down to what the volumes of water comes through down the river. And at this stage, they're still trying to determine their mapping to what that may look like. The modelling which they talk about is mainly around what happened in 1974 and 75. And uh, for some of us uh, who are old enough to remember that, it was uh, it was a, a certainly an interesting time. Which but was. Didn't inundate, inundate everywhere. It inundated a number of little lower lying places, but didn't inundate everything.
2: And lots changed in the the forty fifty years time, since absolutely. then. But you were a dairy farmer at the voice.
3: That's correct. Yes, we and we and lo- below the river, uh, below Murray Bridge the river can often fluctuate depending on the breeze which comes up off the lakes. You know, you, you, we don't think the lakes being as big as what Tidal. They are, exactly, but with a strong southerly, they can come up an easy half a metre to three quarters of a metre without much hassle. And
2: that, that could make all the difference Absolutely. in some cases? And
3: yes. I think it's, um, the discussions which were brought up to everyone's attention on Monday night was really about, you know, not every area... Needs to panic about things, but at the same time they need to be alert, aware, and they need to be prepared, ensuring that the, the levees are in good condition. There's no leakages, no no problems with seepage through them, and are actually being best inspected on a regular basis.
2: When you look at Mye quite a lot of it is is very low, very much down That's on correct. a floodplain level, and then you, and then you do rise up into the hills, and there's quite a lot of new people to this, this part of the world as well. How are you going educating people who may not have seen the, the 74 flood or, or seen the river really this well, high?
3: Again, I think that's part of this education that we're going through like Monday night's meeting, making people aware which government agencies will, will take control of certain items. The SES is the over, overarching controlling authority on this thing. They're the incident control and then on top of that you have uh, Department of Environment Water uh, Department of Transport, you're starting to see outside service providers like DIT, and I forgot, of course, Murray Bridge Council are all being participates in in this process, and will they be there to to manage their component of whatever happens in the next few months? You know, and the thing people need to remember this is not a like a fire where it all goes come through today and be gone tomorrow. It's about a three or four month period, maybe even a little bit longer, depending on how much rainfall falls upstream, and it, it's very much about making sure you, your systems are available to continue on and in your business if it's a business or if it's a, about your residency, making sure that you have an alternative place if you're living on the river's edge and in a shack and then you've got somewhere else that you can be where you're safe and yeah, w- wait for the time to pass.
2: I'm speaking to Wayne Thorley, the uh, Mayor of the Murray Bridge Council, the rural city of Murray Bridge. This area is an absolute hotspot, teeming with people in, in summer. Uh, I went down to, to Woodland Reserve to That's see right. where the boats go in. What is this high river going to mean for boats and things like that? Will people be able to use their boats? Well,
3: there's a question actually at another meeting I was at last night, got raised pretty regularly. There's a concern amongst probably property owners in particular, that, uh, you know, what we call wake boats, could cause harm through their large wake from their boats along the levees and, and property was, you know, if someone's been sandbagged up, I think it's a question that will be, need to be addressed by Department of Transport, that who who uses the river and what they use the river for. Um, I think it's a, there's a number of hazards there people may not be thinking about at this point of time. You know, obviously there'll be a number of fallen trees and other uh, refuge and hazards in the river over the next few months and I think uh, it, it needs to be something addressed by the government of how that is managed at this point of time.
2: So no decisions made yet? No decision,
3: that? I believe, being been made. Uh, I think it's something that they need to address soon because um, you know, it is a tourist environment we have here. We, we want people to enjoy the river but at the same token we don't want them to do it in an unsafe way. Which
2: and risk the levee banks and absolutely. things like that. Absolutely. And- I was talking to some locals here. I think it was a little while ago a road was cut and, and you uh, effectively Longa was cut off that's correct. for a little while. Yes. You certainly wouldn't starve if that happened no, no, here, no, no, would that's right. you?
3: No, no. no they, they'd have a pretty nourishing and enjoyable time eating the produce of their properties.
2: As Mayor of the newly anointed uh, Ag Town of the Year, mm. what do you think it is that makes this area so special?
3: I think it's the people. It's a place where... We've, like I, I said that during the uh, nominations, it's, it's gone through a lot of diversity, some hard times over the last you know, 20 years through reform on irrigation and industry around dairying and horticulture. But they've bounced back. You know, they've taken that opportunity to say turn around and say, well, what can we do and what can we do which is really good and which is better? And they've grasped that and they've growing it and you see it through the children at the school. The school has this fantastic enterprise program where the children understand business and commercial enterprise of what a a small business may need to run and they learn that in, in primary school and I see fantastic little leaders coming out of that which will only help this community but the bigger community around us as well.
2: And we're going to catch up with some of those students oh, later oh, in the program. I'm,
3: I'm sure that'll be very enjoyable.
2: <laughs> no, they do sound like little goers there with their little farm shop. We're going yep, to hear absolutely. more about that soon. Thank you so much for, for joining me. I do hope the preparations no go smoothly. And the river doesn't get quite as high because I know it, it's, it's, there's a lot of nervousness out there about I, what it's going to mean. I, I
3: think it's really important that people are prepared and they're aware and they've got lots of time at this point of time to be organised and prepared for what they need to do and think about it calm clear decisions are always the best decisions and they've got time to do that now
2: absolutely thank you so much for your time today that was Wayne Thorley the newly anointed uh, mayor of the rural city of Murray Bridge he's coming in at quite a busy time for the region with floodwaters making their way down the river Murray one man who is very busy at the moment preparing is uh onions Australia chair onion grower uh Darren Rathshan. good afternoon Hi Cassie. So, you've, I know you're very busy, so thank you for taking time to to have a chat to me. So, you're an onion producer. Is that your main enterprise? Do you have other uh, businesses yeah, as
5: well? Yeah, it is uh, onions is the core business of the family farm, but we do so also do broadacre cropping, run cattle as well.
2: And you've been farming in this area for a long time pre the millennium drought. So it's yes. a, remarkable to be to to think that this region was so badly ravaged by the millennium drought to now be talking about flood, but can you explain what the Millennium Drought was like here for people who may not know what it was like?
5: Um, yeah, that was very hard times for the district, um, a lot of the citrus blocks and that they couldn't move their operation whereas us being growing onions on a seasonal thing we could actually move so we opted to um, diversify down to the southeast and um, grow our crops there to keep our supply to um, supermarkets and everything going. Um, it was hard work up here on the river where at the time everyone would have realised with um, the price of temporary leased water to do crops and that so yeah there was a lot of change happened.
2: Not as much water around as there is now. No. The water lying everywhere. Everywhere I've gone on this trip, there's just been water by the side of the road. So, but you, you so you've got the operation here and down in the southeast. Yes. How have you noticed the enterprise mix and the the different foods and produce that's being produced in this region change as a result of that? Sort of know, exodus that occurred because of the millennium drought. Yeah,
5: there's been a lot of different ideas, especially over in the actual township of Maipo on some of the fruit blogs They've diversified into vines, avocados, there's everything. Uh, young lad milking buffalo. Um, yeah, dairy just, goats. pump
2: yeah. pomegranates. There's yeah,
5: there's everything happening olives. around here. So yeah, it's, it's quite interesting, and it's real credit to everyone around to um, make the best out of um, a bad situation.
2: And you're madly preparing for this flood water. Are you concerned your crops will go under?
5: No, our crops won't go under, but it's more our pumping infrastructure.
2: <laughs> it's always the way when it yep. rains, you've got to yep. duck down and get to the pump. Concerns, though, have been raised in the Riverland and and more so down here as well. What's going to happen with pumps if electricity has to be cut off? Have you had to look at that scenario?
5: Yeah, we've looked at that. Uh, We built a levee bank around um, the pumping sheds uh, probably two or three weeks ago, and we've actually, that was on the recommendations of the level then. We're actually at the moment just increasing that to um, try and hold off the water. Gosh,
2: how high is the pump now? How high is it now? <laughs>
5: um, yeah, we're building it up. We had a pump set close to um, seventy-four flood level, but we're um, actually got a levee bank around the shed at the moment as well.
2: And what are other people doing in your area as well? I mean, I assume they're they're looking at their their pumps as well. But are there other farmers you're talking to who are, are concerned? Because there's a lot of cropping that does take place on the on the floodplain.
5: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the dairy swamps and a lot of the The low lowing lowing areas are um, doing the levy bank checking that as well.
2: I've heard dairy cows have also made a bit of a move potentially to some higher ground as well.
5: Yeah, I've I've heard a bit of that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, what do you think um, is going to be the most crucial thing now going forward for the community?
5: Um, Yeah, hopefully everyone's had enough time to prepare and we can just um, ride out and see how we go and hope we don't get too strong a southerly wind to blow up and raise the water even more.
2: Wayne mentioned it before, and you as well. I, I have heard of this, but I didn't realise how significant it was, how much difference a southerly wind can, can actually push, not so much put, but kind of push the, the River Murray back on itself, and, and it, it sort of yeah. rises here by about half a metre.
5: Yeah. Um, up where we are, we're a little bit um, further upstream. Uh, we can get anywhere from three to four, 450 mil. Rise with a strong southerly.
2: Is, how do you feel about this sort of slow moving feature that this, this flood seems to have here, where everyone's waiting and watching and seeing what's happening upstream, but, but it's a very much a waiting game here. How, how are you going with that?
5: Yeah, it's just giving us time to prepare and make sure we're doing everything right.
2: Well, I'll let you go because I know you're very busy, so it was kind of you to stop by. No worries. Um, And uh, maybe just a bit of a – you're also a member of the Ag Town of the Year.
5: Yeah. (laughs) That's yeah, very exciting and very proud for everyone in the district to be awarded that.
2: So much produce, so much going on here. It's a very worthy win. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Darren Rathjen, who is the Chair of Onions Australia, and uh, he is uh, one of the many growers here in the region around Maipalonga. There's also uh, Wallend and uh, Palomana and Tura, are the towns as well, the communities around here as well that uh, are making up that Ag Town of the Year. So we're going to speak to some more producers about uh, just why Maipolonga has taken out this award. You're listening to The Country Hour. It is 21 minutes past 12.
6: Spend your afternoon with Caroline Winter.
2: It has made me wonder, uh, since I knew I was going to speak to you uh, out for dinner or meeting new people for the first time, and they ask, so what do you do? Have you got a uh, delicate way of letting them know?
7: You're trying to shake people's hands before you tell them. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, um, yeah.
1: Afternoons, weekdays from 2 on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill.
2: We'll have more from my Longus soon, but we have to find out what's happened in markets with Peter Kerr. Good afternoon.
7: Good afternoon, Cassie. This is the Mount Gambier Cattle Report for the 16th of November. Numbers rose in Mount Gambier today. Agents started 1,110 head of live-weight and open auction cattle. These sold to another large field of trade and processor buyers. However, not all of these operated fully, with some failing to participate at all. Quality was generally good, however, the market sold at much cheaper rates than the week before. Fubly steers to the trade made from four hundred and twenty-eight to five hundred and sixty six cents. Similar heifers from four hundred and eighty to five hundred and fifty-six. Feeders operated on steers from five hundred and twelve to five hundred and thirty-two and on heifers from four hundred and fifty to five hundred and thirty-three, as restockers sought both sexes from five hundred and twenty-eight to six hundred and twelve. Dealing small smaller number. The trade operated to 440 cents on the steers and from 385 to 444 cents on the heifers. Feed are active here from 480 to 502 cents on steers, 410 to 470 cents a kilogram on the heifers. Crow and steers and bulls to the trade made from 432 to 498 cents. Feeder support from 442 to 487. Crow and heifers made from 388 to 445 cents to the trade. Is active to 432 as manufacturing steers range from 320 to 370 cents a kilogram. Heavy cows mostly lost 30 cents with more in places. They made from 348 to 385 cents to the trade. Lighter lots selling to 320. As feeders and restockers are active from 288 to 390 cents a kilogram. Heavy bulls return from 310 to 398 cents a kilogram. Cassie, I've also got the SALE reports from yesterday. At the sheep and lambs up there yesterday, there was 5,296 lambs, 4,292 sheep. a total of 9,588 head overall. The usual field of trade and processor buyers were active, along with some restockers. Quality fell on the week before, as wet weather had a bit of an effect, holding some animals out of the market. The market ranged from fern to mostly cheaper on the lambs, while sheep were definitely easier. Light crossbred lambs ranged from 116 to 142. Light trade types, 132 to 158. Trade lambs from 160 to 185, with the heavy lambs from 180 to 216. dollars A few extra heavies from 222 up to the market high of 242. The restockers sourced the light crossbreds that they took home from 90 to 128, light merinos from 74 to 166. The merinos to the trade, the light ones from 81 to 119, light grade toss from 110 to 150, trade weight merinos from 158 to 169, with the heavy lambs from 175 to 186. Heavy ewes range from $110 to $145. Medium feet from $90 to $126. The lighter types from $60 to $106. Restockers store some use from $94 to $130. And some hoggets from $104 up to $134. Hoggets to the tray range from $70 up to $154. Weathers from $100 to $145. Rams from $30 to $70. With one single pen of rams to a restocker at $150 a head. There was only a small yarding of cattle up there yesterday. Only seventy-six head came forward, so there wasn't enough to generate a report. It's been Peter Kerr for the MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service.
2: Thanks for that, Peter. We'll head across to the Bureau of Meteorology now to get a insight into what is happening weatherwise. Good afternoon.
0: Hello there, Cassie.
2: So uh, is it Simon Timkey?
0: Uh, it's Tom here. How are you going, Tom, Cassie? Tom.
2: Tom. Sorry, I didn't get the note. <laughs> Hi, Tom. What's happening weatherwise?
0: OK, Cassie, look, um, yeah, look, so pretty settled conditions around for today. We do have a, uh, um, a low-pressure system, uh, sorry, a high-pressure high system, should I say, to the south of the bite there, and uh, that's been a fairly slow-moving uh, feature, uh, and it's been giving us these sort of cool conditions uh, throughout the state. There's been some isolated light showers around the uh, um, the agricultural area this morning, very little in it, so we're mostly sort of in the, the southern parts there, but uh, uh, that... Cloudy conditions sort of in, in the over the agricultural area and sort of through parts of the Eyre Peninsula. They're set to continue for the remainder of today and and just a little bit of that isolated light shower activity still around in the south, but as I said, certainly not a great deal in it. Um, into Thursday then, uh, uh, the high pressure system starts to move slowly eastwards, so uh, it's expected to be um, centred uh, um, around about over, over Tasmania by the end of Thursday there, uh, and uh, that will see conditions... Uh, uh, Sort of dry for the majority of the uh, the state, uh, at least initially, uh, and uh, temperatures will be uh, uh, rising somewhat as winds turn a bit more northeast to northerly, particularly in the west and north of the state now um, there is however, an area of weather that is expected to be developing over western parts uh, of the state uh, uh, during during Thursday, particularly into the afternoon period there as the trough of low pressure approaches um, from the west so uh, for areas roughly west of about Seduna to, uh, to Cooper piti there, uh, the there is a chance of shower and thunderstorm, develop, sh- shower and thunderstorm activity developing uh, uh, in the afternoon and evening. There is some moisture feeding from the north uh, and some instability increases there. So the uh, remainder of the state will be dry, but uh, in the west there it looks like there, there will be some, some of that activity around. Uh, into, into Friday then, uh, uh, that activity spreads some... Um, uh, spreads eastwards uh, as uh, the trough moves eastwards as well. Uh, it's probably not going to be too much in the eastern sort of districts, particularly the southeast there, where it may even still remain dry. But uh, for the remainder, um, shower and thunderstorm activity, particularly in the west sort of and, and sort of air peninsula area there, the central districts uh, a chance as well. But it's sort of easing a little bit as it moves eastwards. So I guess most of the activity sort of focused in through the the more western parts, and there is a chance even of some severe uh, thunderstorm activity through the, uh, the northwest pastoral and the air Peninsula and parts of the west coast district there as well associated with that trough feature. Into Saturday, then uh, the trough continues to move east. Uh, shower and thunderstorm activity uh, for most districts, although starting to clear in the northwest, uh, or clearing in the northwest, should I should say, and, 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 and tending towards clearing over northern parts uh, uh, as we move uh, through the day, sort of northern parts of the pastoral districts. Um, it looks like being pretty windy though on Saturday with the change and following it as well. So there may even be some warnings out for uh, uh, some some damaging wind gusts associated with gusty winds uh, uh, with and and sort of following that uh, change there. So uh, uh, and speaking of the change, looks like being a fair bit cooler behind that change as well. Such that for uh, early next week, uh, uh, showers confined to the agricultural area, but pretty cool conditions for Sunday and Monday, and and uh, still pretty windy on Sunday. Conditions starting to ease for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday as we gradually get another high-pressure system coming in from the west. But, uh, um, yeah, that'll be a gradual process and still a cold start to the week. Now, the rainfall totals from now until the end uh, of Sunday Generally 2 to 10 millimetres, but up to 10 to 30 millimetres for most of the agricultural area, Eyre Peninsula and the west coast and northwest pastoral districts. There's some higher falls of 30 to 50 millimetres possible over the Mount Lofty ranges and also with thunderstorms there, Cassie.
2: Thanks so much for that. Tom Bowick there from the Bureau of Meteorology. In the far west of New South Wales, the Upper Western will be sunny. Overnight temperatures are falling to between 6 and 11 degrees, but the daytime temperatures will reach the low to mid-20s. The Lower Western will also be sunny. Overnight there, it's going to get down to 6, but the day opening up to the low 20s. We've got more to come on the Country Hour this next half hour. We're going to hear from some of the people who uh, really drove home this Ag Town of the Year award for the for Mike Longa as we approach 12.30. For
1: more stories from across the country, go to abc.net.au slash rural. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill, this is Cassie Huff.
2: Hello, it's great to have you company. I am broadcasting from not quite the banks of the River Murray, but you can certainly see it from where we are, this very big river, is about to get a lot bigger with all the water that is coming down from those eastern states. But it's not enough to dampen the enthusiasm of the locals here in the Murraylands town of Maipalonga and the surrounding communities of Wall Flat, Palamana and Tarua. They are celebrating their Ag Town of the Year win. They were finalists last year. They've gone one better this year. They are now the winners and it's thanks to the diversity and the resilience of this community they uh, struggled through the millennium drought and had to build themselves back up there is such a huge diversity of produce here and we're going to hear a little bit more about what is going on in this wonderful part of the world we'll also hear how people are adjusting and adapting and getting ready for what could be a power of water coming down the River Murray Uh, that's all coming up in the next half hour also some of the local school children who I think were probably the clinchers when it came to winning the Ag Town of the Year award. There's some very enterprising young people in this town. More on that. So first we'll find out what's making news with Matt Coleman. Good afternoon.
6: Hello Cassie. In the news this afternoon, Mid-Murray Mayor Dave Burgess says there are serious concerns about Riverland locals being isolated and cut off from emergency services once the River Murray peaks in early December. Authorities say the Riverland could see up to 165 gigalitres a day flow through the region by early December and that could go up to 220 gigalitres a day. It means some roads and bridges will close and vital ferry services will have to cease. Forbes in central western New South Wales has been split in two as floodwaters inundate the town. Residents have been told to evacuate ahead of an expected flood peak of at least 10.8 metres in the Lachlan River. And a farmer in New says flooding has devastated the New South Wales central west town. Hundreds of locals had to be evacuated when intense thunderstorms on Sunday night triggered extreme flash flooding and two people have been missing. Farmer Tess Herbert says many residents have now returned to find their homes badly damaged. More news at one o'clock.
2: Thanks so much for that, Matt Coleman. More news at one o'clock. And you heard there just how much water is coming down the river. It's doing a lot of damage in New South Wales. Hopefully we don't see anything like that in South Australia. But it is something that the the river communities are well aware of and there's a lot of preparations going on. But there's also celebrating going on in Maipalonga, which is in the heart of the Murray lands. And one man who perhaps uh, knows... Better than most, just how much produce is produced in this region is Carlo DiMichel from the Farm Fresh Market. Good afternoon.
4: Afternoon, Cassie. Al- Thanks for having
2: me. <laughs> You're welcome. We also have Cathy Prosser, who uh, produces apricots as well, Aussie apricots. So she joins me. Hello. Hello. How are you going? I'm um, well, thank you. So I was driving around this area um, yesterday, just getting a bit of a feel for it. Gosh, it's a maze. Every twist and turn, there's a new vegetable or fruit available. But what I was really taken with was the smell. You can actually smell the citrus and smell some of the, the products. It's a it's a beautiful um, place to be that you can really smell the uh, just what's growing here. Now, Carla, you have been buying produce from this region for many years. You, you have your market. What is it that makes the produce out of this part of the Murray land so special?
4: We've been in business f- uh, for about 25 years. Um, my background is growing. I'm born and bred in Murray Bridge, but the longer it's like a fruit bowl. I mean, everything get, gets grown out here. Like you said, from avocados to potatoes, onions. I pride, we pride ourselves in our shop for sweet, tasty produce. So to do that, you need to get it off the farm, picked ripe off the tree and treat it pretty tenderly with gloves. Like I buy peaches and from out here, but you're picked ripe off the tree. So they come straight from picked that morning that morning before lunchtime they're in my shop on the shelf ready for people to buy you can't buy that in Adelaide in this in the praca market because it's people that grow it. they've got to travel go to supermarkets where I'm dealing with the grower face to face and I've known that grower. it's like a family like generation after generation like when my palonga was in the drought and they were pushing out citrus trees and switching the water off and Looked like Maipo was going to go backwards. Well, it did go backwards. It was about five packing sheds and then they ended up, nothing was happening. But now you can see it's evolving again. There's families moved out here, small families that are growing that niche market. You know what I mean? Growing that tasty fruit. And I'd love it because it comes into my shop and people keep coming back and asking for it for more.
2: And Kathy, you, you're a bit more niche. Carlo deals with the broad range of things, but you largely focus on apricots. Your family's been growing apricots for four generations. Your husband's family's been growing apricots for four generations. But what is it about um, this area that makes it such a good area to grow things like
8: stone fruit? Um, it's the climate. Hmm. Um, we have a, a really good climate here. Um, we have uh, colder nights, whereas the Riverland is hot, so our fruit doesn't get so thin. And it's nice and thick.
2: Yeah, right. Now, the two of you were part of the Ag Town of the Year win. You, <laughs> you were put up on a couch because I understand that when Maipolonga's Ag Town of the Year bid was going on, it was when there were concerns around... Japanese encephalitis virus. There were also concerns around uh, foot and mouth disease. So rather than have people traipsing through farms and potentially causing biosecurity issues, you actually went to them and, and there was a town hall style Q&A where you were able to have questions thrown at you and you could you could spruik the town and talk about some of the, the strengths of the town. What was it that, uh, what were some of the main questions that you really um, found were able to showcase what uh, mylung um, is about Carlo?
4: in my in my situation just the the evolving of my it how like there were some big farms some big packing sheds, and now it's it nearly went dormant and now it's flipped over, and there's more like that niche market coming back into the into the area and families and schools and it was more like more like a family you know what i mean like it wasn't that um they um just unite like it's a community and everybody knows everybody it's like a big family
2: absolutely yeah. and Kathy and what what were some of the questions that were thrown at you as part of that hard uh,
8: to remember? yeah I can um I actually came from Adelaide so I've been here for 34 years and they asked me why I came um and what I was doing with the business and why I actually diversified from just growing apricots into what we're doing now
2: and why did you do that?
8: Um, it was uh, actually um, Angus Park. They'd uh, sold to the Chinese and they were actually mixing imported fruit with the Australian fruit um, and we just got sick and tired of it. So we went off and did our own thing. <laughs> and
2: now you're doing dried apricots and all sorts of things. Well, uh, Yes. With apricots. And with the food bowl here, are you finding it's, attracting tourists? Because one thing I have noticed about this area, you've got all this produce but you actually don't have a lot of um, tourism o- opportunities. You've got, uh, there's not really much you can you can sort of do to showcase it here. You, Carly, you, you have it on at your shop but, but really beyond that, how do you go actually trying to, to get the word out about how good uh, the produce is here?
8: We as Aussie Apricots don't because we actually do get tourists here. We, okay. we have two or three buses a week that come in and we do presentations show them Um, and my husband's a bit of a car buff and has two car museums (laughs) (laughs) so you get a double whammy so you get to find out about chocolate and apricots and cars
2: (laughs) (laughs) there you go something for everyone
8: yep to
4: um kathy's credit she's done she does a really good job she's got a really good product you know what i mean like and it is my grown handmade and they've actually diversified they used to be growers to grow citrus and apricots and send it to the market and she said, well, stuff this, let's do it ourselves. And she created a business and it's quite a good business. And I sell it in our shop. And with the, you've got houseboats on the river. The river's a big thing. Houseboats, you've got the um, Proud Mary, which is a big boat that goes up and down the river that calls into mypalonga, and they do tours. They do the school, they do the little tuck shop they do down the road. So, and there's a lot of shacks too, which are gonna probably, most of them are gonna go underwater. It'll bounce back, I mean we always do, so it, it, people do come to the area, but it's probably not well advertised. I reckon it could be better I advertised. feel like it's one of yeah.
2: South Australia's best kept secrets, but yeah. it's so close to Adelaide.
4: Yeah, that's no, true, it's very true.
2: Yep. And so, uh, you're talking about how the, the Millennium Jat brought this region to its knees. Do you think it's actually stronger now than it was before?
4: Uh, it, it will get stronger you watch this space watch this area it's growing I mean these young families with young kids coming out here buying these little blocks and I'm saying they might have been 30 50 acres before but now they're only 10 or 15 and they've got jobs but their blocks are their second job and they love it I mean the kids grow up on in in on acreage you know and it's a family concern they all go out and pick apricots or they all go and pick oranges and and they do it on weekends so the more and more people are coming it's the, it's the lifestyle it's a great lifestyle
2: one of the the things about the win for, for my in the region is that last year you were finalists and this year you changed your tack a little bit when it came to how you presented Myperlonga. so for any towns out there that are thinking i'd like to i'd like my town to be considered the ag town of the year it sounds pretty good what do you think is key to my win, win and, and what was it about what did you change in to, to make that a, a reality for you?
4: I think Kathy can answer that, because she's on the Thanks. committee, <laughs> and she's done a good job, so they won.
8: <laughs> um, we changed it to actual agriculture and, and uh, looked at what people actually do here to um, diversify and um, to change from the year before, so yeah, more agriculture. So that's the key, really that's focusing key. Yep. on the
2: ag element. And and now that you've had a, uh, the win, and I'm sure it's rippled through town, everyone's very proud, what are people saying about uh, MyPolonga's win? I don't know, because I'm so busy working. <laughs> <laughs> what are you here, Sorry. Carl? Are you
4: sure? I reckon it's great. Like Everybody's talking about it now, and they go, oh, Longa. what do they do out there?
2: Yeah, but, it used to just be dairy and citrus, yeah, and now not, it's...
4: No, it's everything. I mean, everything. I could run off a list of products and that get grown in the area not just here but only about five kilometers down the road like you've got collies, cabbage, lettuce, avocados, apricots, citrus you know I reckon some of the best citrus come out of this area I think it's the sandy loamy soil and the limestone base and plus like Cathy said citrus love frost and the more frost the sweeter the oranges and sweeter the mandarins.
8: Same with apricots they need a frost the cool to units. Yep, to set the fruit. Well, they're, they're
2: getting that this year.
8: <laughs> we certainly are. Are you
2: struggling at all with the, the cool weather? I can imagine you're probably a bit slow ripening.
8: Uh, we have probably lost 50% for the rain. From yeah. rain? Uh, What's yep, splitting the or No, no, damaged. the rain actually was um, hitting the flowers and dropping them off the trees. So, yeah, we didn't need the rain when the flowers were on. So, yeah, we've only got about 50%. Um, most of the growers around here are only half half of what we normally get, so it's going to be a good year for me, not, I'll, <laughs> be, I'll be struggling because I normally look for about 35 tonne of just dried apricots, let alone everything else. And you reckon you're what, down to about 25 or something? Oh no, not even that, It'll probably be under 20 tonne, so I and won't last the year.
2: And will you be late harvesting as well? Because I mean,
8: all the rain crops are, well, are behind. No, we won't be late. Okay. Um, all the early varieties, most of the growers around here um, don't have any, so it's mainly more parks, which come in at the end of December, January. Okay.
4: Yeah, stone fruit now starts in the Riverland, and then the Riverland start. Well, they've start. We started apricots this week, and we've got nectarines, peacherines, and peaches. They've all started, and then. Palonga might be two or three weeks maybe later with peaches yep. and then I'll introduce them into my shop and just drop off the Riverland a little bit. So,
2: Well, well done. It sounds like you were grilled and you stood up to the the, <laughs> the questioning from no. the judges. Congratulations. Thanks so much for, for sharing some of your, your you. Maipolonga stories. You. Thank uh, you, Cassie. We've got Thank Kahlo, you Carlo Michelle, and Cathy Prosser speaking there. We've got more to come from Palonga. I'm Cassie Huff. It is... 17 minutes to one.
1: Are you in a giving mood this Christmas? ABC Gives will be supporting Food Bank again this year. With many families struggling to put food on the table now and into Christmas, we can dig deep and brighten the lives of those in our community who are going hungry. Help us end hunger in South Australia. Keep listening to ABC Radio to find out how you can help. This is ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill.
2: I'm Cassie Half. Welcome to the program. I am in the Town Hall at Mya a beautiful old, uh, what do you call Riverstone building. Uh, it's It's very historic, this town, lots of old buildings, but looking forward as the Ag Town of the year. Now, we've been talking a bit about produce, but uh, there's also a lot of broadacre and uh, crops that are grown in this area as well. I'm joined by Mark Paul, who is a fourth-generation broadacre farmer in this area. Good afternoon.
9: Good afternoon, Cassie.
2: How's your season going?
9: Um, Variation. We had a dry dry July, um, and then since that, we were a bit worried but then obviously the last eight weeks it's got wetter and got wetter and got wetter and um, if you're a broadacre farmer trying to produce hay or cut hay it's been difficult and and this time of the year rather than sitting here I'd really be loved to be on a header but our crops are still a bit wet so. Still are yeah. they
2: getting, uh, so um, this is the time of year when a lot of hay is produced but the rain is causing havoc because you need to get it dry, so how, how are you going to be able to uh, cut hay even?
9: yeah, we've finished pretty well, so um, it was it was drawn out r- r- very drawn out and, and the hay quality is obviously reduced to what we 'd normally expect. but um, we've finished that job now and now we're trying to get the headers out of the shed, and hopefully we get some some dry weather for the next six weeks, and we can we won't be finished before christmas but um and yeah. how
2: unusual is it for you not to be finished before Christmas?
9: Uh, I re- I've been home on the farm for 16 years, I think now, and I think once in 16 years we haven't fi- finished before Christmas, so the machines have got bigger, obviously, in the last few years, but now we're normally done by about the third week of December, so yeah.
2: The river is on the rise. Your farm, though, isn't going to be affected by it from a, a flooding point of view, but there are... There could be some issues with roads and uh, and things like that. Do you have any um, concerns around how well people are going to be able to get around in this area when when the river does start to rise?
9: Yeah, well, I think the strength of Maipalonga as we've discussed is our resilience and and the way we communicate with each other. So it might not directly affect us, but it's going to affect the rest of the town. It's going to affect dairy farmers and people that are close to the closer to the water. So you know, people are already looking at shifting buffalo and. You know, dairy cows off the swamps because they've got to be got to be organised. So, I think as a community, we're uh, we're looking at each other's backs, and and there's people that are up on the higher land that are, are lending a paddock or two to help people um get their stock away from the. So the that river. is so, happening. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So people um we're being proactive, or the some of the the people in the district are being proactive. So um yeah, as I say, it's not going to affect us personally, but it's going to affect friends and and alike. So yeah.
2: And how many uh, sort of livestock could be affected? Because, I mean, you can't move crops, but you can at least move the stock.
9: Yeah. Um, oh, obviously every dairy farmer and, and, uh, and buffalo farmer or anyone that's got stock on the on the flats, whether it be wall flat or towards Maipolonga or back towards Murray Bridge, they're all going to be affected. So um, they'd be coming up with contingency plans to get them away or find another dairy a bit higher that they can milk at because um, you can't just stop milking cows. So
2: No, exactly. Yeah. I hear that the, the dairies are, are going to be okay, um, that they're, they're going to have levies around them or they're high enough, but, but the cattle have to move. You were another one of the people who were interviewed by the Ag Town of the Year mm-hmm. panel. What was the main message you wanted to get across? We were talking about the diversity of produce uh, with Carlo and Cathy, but you had a bit of a different take. What, what were some of the things you wanted to get across?
9: Yeah, um, I suppose we were talking about um, as broadacre farmers in a in a dry where we're generally a, a, a pretty dry, tough finish to our season. So it's about being resilient, about being sustainable, and and coming up with um, a range of being multi multi faceted businesses. I suppose now, so we 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 have a contract business to our enterprise. We we have livestock, we have sheep. Um, we our sheep are wool and you know meat type stuff. So. We try to be as um, multi, as I say, multifaceted and um, sustainable and biosecurity conscious and all that sort of stuff as well. so.
2: Yes, it, it was very biosecurity conscious the the way this was done because there were concerns around uh, the JEV and foot and mouth mm-hmm. disease yep. at the time. I did see um, there are some signs up around town as well. Fight the bite. There's there's quite a lot of awareness around Japanese encephalitis and the concerns that brings. And it sounds like that's going to continue into the the summer as well as that concern ramps up again.
9: Yeah, yeah. I suppose if you're a, um, as the water gets gets higher and you know there'll be more more mozzies and and if we're out later in the dawn and dusk where you know um but we're one of the one of the towns that they've uh indicated that we you know potentially might have to look at getting needles or whatever to protect ourselves and you know long long shirts and that sort of stuff so yeah it is a yeah, if it's not one thing, it's another. <laughs> if it's not yeah. one
2: thing, it's another. Yeah, no, there's this been a lot thrown at this town. Um, and so, as I was saying, you, you produce hay, and there's uh, been a lot of people affected by hay. In, or hay production has been affected by the weather. Just talking to um, other people, because you do some ca- contracting mm-hmm. as well. How much hay do you think has possibly been lost in this area due to weather?
9: Oh, I think we've, we've been reasonably lucky this you know, our district. Um, I mean, we've got one or two rains on it, but um I mean, you don't have to go it's far. Get into... bogged? I'll no, no, a few, no, uh, no, no. conditioners bogged? No, no. no. We've, uh, um we've, as I say, I mean, the uh we're not as bad as the east coast and and you know parts of borough and the mid north. They've obviously copped it a lot harder than we have. But I mean, any rain over harvest or hay production gives you the curry. So um <laughs> we are just, yeah. I suppose we're lucky. Um Our feed tests will show how how lucky we've been but um as a sustainable you know we we plant our crops when we're doing hay crops we stagger them and so when we cut them we've staggered cutting so you might beat one shower and hopefully get past the next one so yeah um no we didn't get bogged no,
2: okay. no. <laughs> that's good i'll be interested to hear this harvest as the the grain crop uh, starts to come off whether there's many people getting
9: bogged yeah <laughs> it's going to be a slow harvest yeah it's going to be um I suppose our wives and that are going to have to be pretty patient with us Um, I know my temper and my uh I'm starting to lose trust in the weather at the moment. We just want some fine weather, so, yeah. yeah
2: absolutely. It's, uh, it's considering South, what South Australia's been through for the last couple of years, it seems remarkable that people are asking the rain to stay away when it's been so dry, but...
9: Yeah, yeah, no, we do rain dances in the middle of September. Now we want to we want <laughs> to nick off and go somewhere else, so, yeah.
2: Well, thanks so much for stopping by. I know you've been very busy, but uh, congratulations on being a part of the, the bid for Ag Town of the Year and... Yeah. It's a, a wonderful place to be. I'm enjoying discovering more about it because, like what people have been saying, it's a bit of a hidden gem. You don't know just how much is here until you come.
9: No, it's um, yeah, it's great to see you know ABC here too. You know, promoting also promoting. It's not just done. We'll we'll push on with uh, being Ag Town of the Year for the next 12 months and make sure that MIPA gets seen more on the map. So, thank Absolutely.
2: you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining me. That was Mark Paul, a hay contractor and broadacre farmer in the region. Now uh, we've got. I think perhaps the clincher in the win when it came to the Maipolonga Town Ag Town of the Year was the presentation by the school students. So that's up next. We're going to hear why they are so much a part of the bid for Ag Town of the Year. It's nine minutes to one.
1: Should sport be a platform for personal politics? Israel Falau was the sporting superstar who triggered a national controversy.
0: He had the rugby world in the palm of his hand.
9: It became a flashpoint for a much bigger societal debate. Now
1: a two-part documentary takes you behind the clash of culture, faith and football. A lot of
10: Polynesians are saying, you're questioning our faith.
1: Falau starts Monday, November 21st on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. This is ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill.
2: I'm Cassie Huff. this is the Country Hour and uh, we are almost at one o'clock but I thought I might let you in on a, a bit of a secret as to what's been happening here. So when I walked in here there were two framed certificates saying Maipolonga finalists. So Maipolonga's been finalist for the Ag 10 of the year for the last two years but... In has arrived, the certificate showing that my Palonga is the winner of Ag Town of the Year and it's been brought in by some of the students from the local school because they are the custodians of it at the moment and I'm joined by a couple of students. We've got Charlotte Paul, uh, Charlotte Ladson and Sophie Brower. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So, this is quite a coup. What does it mean to the school to be able to be the host of the award-winning certificate, Charlotte?
10: Uh, it's, just, it's just a really great opportunity for MIPO.
2: Absolutely. Now, you guys have been a big part of this, and I understand you've got a farm shop. Sophie, can you tell me a little
11: bit about your farm shop? Listen. Um, the school shop started 27 years ago in 1995 and it started on the old abandoned post office across the road and it started off with just a kid wanting to sell um, like things that they've made at home and then we didn't get a consistent customer base. It was mainly just parents wanting to buy their own kids' um, products. So we put it in the school grounds. And, yeah.
2: So what do you do there, Charlotte? What's, what's a big part of the, the school shop?
10: So we sell our own chocolate-coated apricots. So we chocolate coat them in the school.
2: Oh, wow. So, and so you're, you're actually, like, melting down the chocolate and then dipping the apricots in there. Is it fun? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and is it just apricots or do you grow up, or do you produce other things as well?
10: It, it used to be peaches, but they weren't getting sold as much
2: okay and so you're involved in the whole process so, you, so you're doing the dipping you, are you also growing the apricots or are you get are you getting them in to the school
10: no we buy them from orchards around lipo right and
2: but the way you sell them now you uh you've tapped into a pretty ready market what's that
10: <laughs> we get them from the proud mary so the proud mary comes and visits our shop every single friday
2: So all the guests get to come and visit your school. Now, you're learning about, obviously, the the produce, but what have you learnt about um, business and and how to make sure that that you can run a business properly, Sophie?
11: Um, We've learned about consignment calculations. So in the inside canner, we have produce from local people and they make things and give it to us to sell in the shop and then we get... 20% 20% of the commission and they get 80% of what they've made.
2: Right. So you must have been learning a lot about it. What's your
11: favourite part about it? Um, I like, after like Inside canner and Outside canner calculating like the profit and all that and finding out how much we've got.
2: So you're the businesswoman? Yeah. You've got a a brain for business. That sounds good. It's a very important part of farming is having a business brain. Um, So with the shop, you were a part of the Ag Town of the Year Award. So you had to go along and actually make a pitch to the, the people who were judging it. What did you want them to know about the shop and what it means to you?
10: We wanted them to know how much effort we put into it. Such a learning opportunity. How much we learn from it.
2: Absolutely. And um, were they surprised by just how much involvement the school has? Do you think it sounds like you've you've got everyone's involved?
10: Yeah. Like we've got everyone from upper primary unit, and we take people from other classes to help in with their learning and ours.
2: Absolutely. Now, we've been speaking with Charlotte Paul, but I'll just give the microphone now to Charlotte Ladson as well, who's come across to uh, the, the town hall here in Michaelonga. So we're just shifting some microphones over because I want to give everyone a chance to have a bit of a chat on the radio. So, Charlotte, what is uh, your favourite thing about being a part of the farm shop?
11: Um, I really like having an opportunity to get every, like, rotation and how you actually, like, can speak your own, like, opinions and how you get that freedom to, like, speak to the visitors and have opportunities to, like, use your abilities of speaking and, like, you can practice those skills To like the visitors.
2: So we've got the businesswoman mathematician. We've got the communicator. What do you think your strength is, Charlotte? We'll just jump talking this mic here.
10: I don't know. I really love the math part of it. Okay, so we've got we've got some mathematicians here. That would not.
2: I would be with you, Charlotte. I'd be the talker. I think. I don't think I'd be the one doing the maths and. uh, with, the, the, um, with palonga, you're growing up here, you're seeing all this produce. What is it that makes palonga special to you, Charlotte?
11: I would say all the stone fruits, how we're sort of known for stone fruits, like the peaches and the pomegranates and all that, and how we sort of just have like the school and all that, and how like we're known for the shop and all like the fruits around it.
2: Absolutely. Well, we're just about we're out of time, but so- Sophie, I might just get your thoughts on Palonga as well. What makes you proud to be from My Palonga and the Ag Town of the Year?
11: Um, I'm happy to be like in the school, and I think that like what Charlotte said with the stone fruits and all that, and how we're like known for that
2: absolutely it is a wonderful part of the world i've loved visiting i did visit once before but it wasn't for very long it's been wonderful having a chance i don't know how you know how you get around this place there's such a (laughs) maze it's so there's so many different streets and things but it's a beautiful part of the world so thank you so much for joining me today we've got charlotte paul charlotte ladson and sophie brower from year six at uh, the michael Longa school thank you that's it from me. It's been wonderful spending time here in the ag town of the year. Everyone's getting ready for the floods that are coming, but there's more to come on your ABC local radio as we approach one o'clock.
6: Afternoons with Caroline Winter.
2: Are you on the pension or trying to get the pension? Or if you know someone and you're helping them try to get the pension, but you've had trouble? Caroline Winter,
1: ABC Radio South Australia and Bro-